0: Good morning. I'm Jane Ellen I'm um, a um, retired pastor from uh, Allegheny College and pleased to be a member of this church and glad to step in as needed uh, to preach. A uh, little bit of short notice this time, but um, Lita and Tyson and I decided we were team Sarah, that we were uh, between us, we could step in and uh, lead you all in worship today as we Pray for Pastor Pastor Sarah's um, recovery. Um, Just a note about the bell piece that we just did. Both of those are um, African American spirituals. So if we think about Juneteenth and how a lot of those spirituals had coded messages and talked about um, that yearning for freedom and liberation. So I don't know that we planned it for that reason, but it's a nice way to um, add to our celebration uh, of Juneteenth today. Our scripture passage is from the book of Acts. Um, I'm going to be reading through verse 22. Um, Here these words from the Acts of the Apostles. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord... "'went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, "'so that if he found any who belonged to the way, which was the Christian movement, "'men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. "'Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, "'suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. "'He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, "'Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me?' "'Saul asked, "'Who are you, Lord?' Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked this name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus, by, proclaim, by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this passage that we just read describes perhaps the most celebrated and dramatic conversion story in Christian history. Saul sets out for Damascus on a mission, but God steps in and turns him completely around. He goes from being the most ardent persecutor of Jesus' followers to his most ardent evangelist. God calls him, equips him, and surrounds him with the people he needs to help him. Now, we've already met Saul in the book of Acts. Pastor Sarah reminded us that he watched approvingly as Stephen was stoned to death. Saul went house to house after that, dragging people off to jail. He's been imprisoning Christians because, as a faithful Jew, he sees it as an affront to believe that the Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. Saul believes that the Messiah will come in glory, just as the prophets said not as a teacher, a peasant from the backcountry who ended up on a criminal's cross. Saul thinks that all these people who are following Jesus have been duped by another first-century miracle worker who turned out to be a fraud, just like all the others have. But what about the story of Jesus being raised from the dead? Well, clearly just another magic trick. It's an illusion. Or maybe a story cooked up by his followers to cover up their man's defeat. Saul is worried about all the faithful Jews who are falling for this, who are leaving their synagogues for this movement and following the way. So he's headed for Damascus to round up any Christ followers there and haul them back to Jerusalem as prisoners. His mission is sanctioned by the high priest who gave him letters to present to the synagogue leaders in Damascus. Converting this man would take a miracle, and a miracle is what he gets. Saul has an encounter with the risen Christ himself. His journey to Damascus is interrupted by a blinding light and a voice from above. Now, again, being a Jew who knows the scripture, he knows right away that this is an encounter with the divine. He knows about lights and voices from heaven. So when he's asked, why do you persecute me? Notice what he says. Who are you, Lord? He knows he's hearing from God. Now, we don't know if he suspects that it's Jesus or if he thinks this is another trick and someone's, again, trying to pull his leg, but God knows that Saul needs to hear from the risen Christ directly. And if you think about it, even the disciples who knew Jesus best needed to see him after his resurrection to watch him eat, touch his side, be fed by his hand before even they believed that he had risen from the dead. Saul needs even more persuasion, but his encounter with the living Christ is so highly charged that he emerges from it as a changed man. He drops his Hebrew name, Saul, and uses his Roman name, Paul, which is how we are most familiar with him. Saul is converted, but he is also called. Paul is called to be God's instrument in helping the church grow, especially among the Gentiles. Now, his call is not unlike that of other stories in the Bible. There's a similar pattern. A dramatic event catches their attention. God calls them to a difficult job. And then even uh, when they need some convincing, they finally accept. Think about Moses being called to liberate the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. God gets his attention with a burning bush that's somehow not consumed by the flames and tells Moses to go speak to Pharaoh. Now, Moses protests, saying he doesn't speak very well. He even asks God, can't you send someone else? But God promises to give him the words. And he says that his brother, Aaron, uh, will be by his side the whole time. God uses other people sometimes as part of our call. The older priest, Eli, helps the young Samuel hear God's call in the night. When the young boy keeps trotting into Eli's room, thinking it's Eli's voice that he hears the older man realizes that it's a call from God and tells Samuel how to listen. And in the passage that we just read from Acts, God uses Ananias, a Christian in Damascus, as part of Saul's call. God appears to Ananias in a vision and sends him to heal the stricken man. Now, Ananias protests not about his own part, but about God's choice. He reminds God of Saul's crusade against the believers as if Somehow God doesn't know what's been going on. God assures Ananias that Saul is chosen for a mission. Again, not the first time God has chosen an unlikely instrument. The stuttering Moses to speak to Pharaoh. Jesse's youngest son, David, to be the king of Israel. Peter, the most fallible disciple, as the rock of of the church. And now Saul persecutor of Christ, to be his apostle. So Ananias goes to Saul at once, and in the name of Jesus, he restores Saul's sight, and Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit. From that day on, he is a changed man. People hear him preach in Damascus and cannot believe the transformation. They ask, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked the name of Jesus? How can this be the same person? Few of us have such a dramatic conversion or call experience, but the story of Saul slash Paul reminds us of how God works in all of our lives, how the Holy Spirit can do new things even when we least expect it. We may be headed in a whole different direction when God heads us off, turns us around, and commissions us to do something unexpected. Unexpected. We might be skeptical about why God would choose us or, like Ananias, question someone else's worthiness, but God has a long history of calling unlikely persons, equipping them and surrounding them with the helpers that they need. As I thought about this story in light of Father's Day, I thought first of the dads, the father figures, and other men that God places in our lives to help us become the people that God calls us to be. But it also occurred to me that becoming a parent is a life-changing event. Unlike Saul's conversion, having a child does not usually come out of the blue. We've all heard about those people who go into labor not knowing they were pregnant. Nor is it exceptional. It happens every day. But when it happens to you, nothing in your life is ever the same again. I saw how my two brothers changed when they became fathers. We have a picture of my younger brother holding his newborn daughter, and from the look on his face, I could tell that my easygoing, mild-mannered brother would walk through fire for this child. Now, this is the man who in younger days said that the only way to have kids was OP, other people's. But the day his daughter Liz was born was his first day as a father, and it changed him forever. Several years later, when Liz's chin was sliced open by a broken glass from a door, my brother, who passes out at the sight of blood, managed with the help of a neighbor to get Liz to the ER where she was stitched up. God equipped him for fatherhood and sent a neighbor to help out when he couldn't quite handle it on his own. We never know what God has in store for us. The graduations, weddings, and retirements that happen at this time of the year are natural turning points, But like becoming a parent, they are not usually surprises. They are planned for, expected, yearned for in many cases. But we don't know until they happen just how different our lives will be. Each day is a new beginning, and we don't know what God might have in store for us. I didn't expect to be preaching this morning, nor did Sarah expect to be home with COVID. But the past two years have taught us that life can turn on a dime. You've heard the expression, we make plans and God laughs. God may guide us in new directions, but will always equip us for those new tasks and send the helpers that we need to accomplish them. Thanks be to God. Amen.